Creating space to mentor other men can be difficult and sometimes unpopular. Today, we continue our conversation with Tommy Thompson about the necessity and benefit of creating that space. When I think about leadership and manhood and what family looks like, part of what I, I've even started conversations with my family by saying, listen, I need to make an unpopular decision here. I know it's not going to rest well, but there there are some things that we need to change. And so I, I think one of the things that we have to do, especially as moms and dads, especially as dads, is be willing to take some heat sometimes for making unpopular decisions that are healthy for our family. And um, it's, it's going to be painful at times. Some of the decisions that you have to make, some of the things you say no to, and some of the things you say yes to, you, you've got to have some thick skin to be a dad who's leading your family well. Yeah, absolutely. But it can be done with, with, you know, incredible grace and it can be done in conversation uh, so you, you can pull your family into it. And, and when they see that it's coming from a, a right heart and that it's not just to uh, make life easier, uh, they, they'll get on board with you. 100%. It has to be winsome and loving, not vindictive yes. and harsh. And, and, and so we have to learn, even in our tone of voice, our posture and all of those things, to make those hard decisions, but to um, to do it in a loving way. And this is, you know, this is the father's example for us. He disciplines those he loves. He, well, you started off with this, that um, we have all kinds of, well, there's another verse that says, many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And um, so it, there are times when we have uh, a plan for ourselves and God moves us in a direct, different direction we may not like that. It may be an unpopular decision, but he's God. So we have to be careful how we argue with him. That that didn't go well with Job. And so so we've got so much to learn about our own fathering by understanding how God the Father fathers us. And uh, so that's just critical. Well, and that was that was very much our story. I mean, we, we were not uh, together enough in our own Christian life to figure this out ourselves. So God took us through... Yeah you know, a 15-year period of gently teaching us the way to live, that was preparation for a storm that we couldn't imagine was coming. Yeah. So it was God's gentleness to try to help us for a season that was to come. Isn't that amazing? So you learned so much in this season, and God brought you through that, and you began to then look at, okay, how can I help other people? How can I multiply what God's doing? So you wrote the book, and then I, I want to transition to talking about this mentoring project that you launched through the local church, because it's one thing for Tommy Thompson to be one guy who's pouring himself into other folks, but but we really need to be in relationship in smaller groups, one-on-two, one-on-three, so that we can develop these discipleship or mentoring relationships that are where we can invest in other people. So talk about how God has taken what you've learned and allowed you to multiply it in so many ways. Well, uh, it's, it's been exciting. It's been, it's really been quite uh, an adventure. I've always loved meeting with people uh, one-on-one or one-on-two and working 
with people usually younger than myself to kind of help uh, mentor them. And I think part of that comes out of my my natural nature as an introvert. Uh, and I also realized out of my own nature that uh, small groups are incredible and they're very important, but they also don't right. work for a lot of people. I realized so much, particularly in teaching this Sunday school class, the ability of people, men maybe in particular, to hide even within groups, small groups. Yeah. So, would you know? I know these men were in great small groups, only to find out that there was an affair going on, and nobody knew about it because we have that ability to hide. We have less ability to hide when we're sitting right across the table from someone. And so I realized that from my perspective, there was a hole in the discipleship world because we had the large church worship services, which were important, and maybe some classes of a little bit smaller. And we had the small groups, but people were still hiding. They were not really being challenged uh, to authentic walk with Christ. And so that was what caused me to say, you know, I think really a tremendous need is to create uh, these mentoring relationships, not only with men, with women. The mentoring ministry we did was with men and with women. And so I said, so let's just create, let's create the soil in which real growth can happen. And so we would simply ask men and women who were perhaps a step further along to make the decision to walk alongside those who were perhaps a step often in age just behind them and be able to share not how great they were, but to share the lessons that they learned through uh, often through failure and to not be the answer person, but to be the walk alongside person. And so the idea in this mentoring ministry was, you know, we're not asking to for the few, very few people who have their acts together. We're asking people who are willing to be real. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. And so we created just a, a very simple, uh, large structure to enable one-on-one -on -one and one-on-two relationships to happen with men and women under their own, um, at their own comfort levels, often at a Cracker Barrel. Some people had it in their home. Some people did breakfast. Some people did lunches. Just said, we'll give you a little bit of content to be able to discuss yes. and then just bring your real self and be able to be willing to be vulnerable and transparent. And if you do that, God will move powerfully. And it was just amazing. And often the most powerful things that happened were in the mentor's life beyond right. T's life. Yeah. You know, as we've worked on this, I, I just, I remember part of our conversation earlier and as we've worked on this with Noble Warriors and tried to encourage folks to invest in ministry, invest in mentoring, especially seasoned men, part of what I get pushback on is exactly what you said. Guys will say, well, I, I'm, I'm not valuable. I've made too many mistakes. I've there's there's too much chaos in my life. I've ruined so many things. I've claimed bankruptcy. I've had a porn addiction. I've had an affair. I've, I've 
you know, and they think all of those things are disqualifying them for investing in the lives of other men. Now, I do think there's an important piece of this. I talk about the difference between wounds and scars. And so wounded men for whom that has their issues have not been resolved are dangerous. But a man who's seen Christ redeem the the mess ups and the difficulties in his life and has seen God work through those and restore things and rebuild him, man, he's got scars that are valuable and other folks need to hear those stories to to help them navigate their own difficult moments. So speak to, how do you encourage the guy who's who's wrestling with that and just says, I have a sense of inadequacy about all of this? Well, that's the beauty of, to me, the image of walking alongside is that it's not about right. having your, your act together. And I find, or we found that to the very largest degree, the people who are still wounded, who are still uh, working through really uh, difficult things, bad things in their life, they generally disqualified themselves. They weren't the people who stepped up to want to be a mentor because the last thing they wanted was some opportunity for something to shine a light on something that they were trying to keep hidden. So it was simply a question of trying to get the people who felt like they'd made a lot of mistakes to see to see how God could use those mistakes even more so than their successes to help people come along uh, behind them. And as we began to take that pressure off them to have the answers and to have their act together and to just say, be real, then, you know, tremendous things happen. So that was part of, you know, in terms of leading this mentoring ministry, what, uh, what I worked on the most was just providing uh, some teaching and training for the mentors to say, you know, relax. Uh, we'll give you enough content that you're not going to be fumbling around, but just be yourself. Just care for the people and just love them and the discipleship will happen. Uh, and so there was a lot of apprehension at the beginning in the mentor's life, even more than the mentee's life. But then you began to see that transformed into this sense of joy and and power. And I think that what came out of so much of the men mentoring ministry was people who felt empowered to walk imperfectly in their life as disciples of Christ going forward because they thought they couldn't do it and they saw God do powerful things even in the midst of their imperfection. Right. And and so I have this little saying that I picked up from somewhere. I, I don't think it's original, but I, I believe that the old man needs the young man's strength and the young man needs the old man's wisdom. And so when they come together, it's, it's a beautiful cocktail because you have wisdom meeting with strength as these two guys are willing to meet together and, and do life and learn from each other and sharpen each other. And so I just so much affirm what you're saying that sometimes it's the mentor who gets more out of this as they see God use them. I mean, there. I, I go back to what I said earlier I, um, about there being an untapped army of men in the local church 
that we need to call out and train and deploy to go and invest in younger men and let God continue to use them. Because I think these young guys are hungry for real relationship. And and I would agree with you, this, this applies in the world of women's ministry too. I just am constantly focused on men. So that's kind of where I, where I speak sure. and think most of the time. But um, I, I just think there's, a, there's an army that we need to call out and deploy to be part of this because it's life-giving. When we, when we start doing this, it's life-giving. Well, and the beauty, I think, I think the word army is actually kind of appropriate because what was interesting is as we began this ministry uh, and we had, uh, I think, over 115, 20 people involved in it. Uh, what we realized is when we created this culture of mentoring that we were reaching some real mass of numbers through this. And the beauty was because this was so much one-on-one or one or two, the, the depth of that reach was life-changing. And that's a difficult thing. As much as I love to teach in front of groups, it's hard to have that deep impact that happens when you are uh, touching the person right across the table and in that type of way. So it was something that uh, when you create that kind of culture, that kind of army goes broadly, but it also goes incredibly deep uh, in, in terms of making change in people's lives. For sure. Now, so I want to tie two things together. And you and I had a preliminary conversation about this because I think there are some folks who also would say, hey, I'm too busy to do something like this. I don't have time to add something like this to my schedule to either participate in uh, as being a mentor or a mentee. And they say, I don't have time for this relationship. I already feel this overload thing. And this is not going to be something I can can pour any of my energy into. I tend to believe that this is worth pouring your energy into, and you might find that you're energized and um, it helps get some focus in some other areas. And, and you had some comments about that with priorities and so forth. So, so speak to the overloaded person and how valuable it could be for them to figure out how to be a part of something like some one-on-one mentoring or involved as a mentee. Well, there, there's a, a balance point. And, and what I realized sure. is that I needed to learn this lesson of creating space in my life and that, that the importance of that was it was only in creating space in my life that I was creating the soil in which God could work. Unfortunately, in a lot of ways, life doesn't work in such a linear way that, okay, I create space and now I have space and now I can fill that space with something important. And so we sometimes have to uh, dance through this. And I think as you said, sometimes the way we dance is we make the uncomfortable and uh, the, de- the decision for that which is important and then we manage the rest of life into it. Now, if someone's going to do that and they're not going to take anything out of their life, then they probably are better off not doing it. But if we simply say, I know this is important, I know this is invaluable to the person that God wants me to be and the person that I am becoming, and so I'm going to do that. And parallel to that, 
I'm going to use this as an opportunity to right size, to make some of these other decisions, to bring life into a proper uh, balance, even though I don't always like that word, but, but bring it into balance. Sometimes we need to make those uh, decisions uh, to do those things. And as I talk about in the book, the, the point of creating space is not so that we can live easier, more comfortable lives. The point of creating space is that we can live better, deeper, more faithful lives. It's creating space that is going to make our relationships be what they're meant to be. It's creating space that is going to allow us to find our purpose and live into that purpose. And without the space, relationships suffer, purpose gets lost in distraction and the wrong things happen. So the, you know, you, you do have the chicken and the egg uh, issue, but for many people, I think, as you say, you know, we need to dive into what's important and parallel figure out how God really wants us to live in the other areas of our life. Yeah. You know, it strikes me. I've got a, I think I've mentioned this before in, in other conversations, but I've got a friend who says that, that sometimes, and, and we've got a hound dog, our pet is a hound dog. And so she is constantly, she's on a trail, she's all over the place and barking and carrying on. But I've got a friend that says even sometimes an old hound dog has to just sit down and look around before they go chasing everything that that happens to run by. And it strikes me that a first step in some of trying to right size life and figure some of this out is to just take some time to settle down and take an inventory of what you are doing and and evaluate that and 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 just see, okay, if I if I look around, and see what am I truly investing my time in? How much of this is falls under the tyranny of the urgent, the, 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 the thing that requires a lot of time and energy, but really isn't that important. Um, but I think we get locked into this mode where we just keep doing what we've been doing because we've been doing it and we never take stock of why we're doing it and question whether or not is this the right thing to be doing. So how could give us a practical tip as we come to a close here just a couple of thoughts about how someone could go about doing that, maybe individually or in a marriage or in a family. How, how could you go about doing that inventory? What would that look like? Uh, well, I've, I've, I've done a lot of this with uh, some of the coaching that, that I've done. And I have a real simple process that, that I found to be very meaningful for some people that I've uh, shared it with. I call it a whole life assessment. And I've, really break down our lives into eight categories. It's, it's categories like faith, finance, family, relationships, health, purpose, experiences, uh, and I'm leaving out one. And then I simply ask people to take those eight categories of life, and you can create your own eight categories, and rate how are you doing in those categories on a scale of one to ten. So I'm a six on finances. And then in addition to giving that rating, just write a, a simple, small, explanatory paragraph about why is this a six? Why isn't it an eight? Why isn't it a four? You know, and what's going well or not going well? And 
I find as what, what the process does is it allows people in a short amount of time to step back and look at the big picture across all the categories and see perhaps where their lives are being sabotaged, where something is really not working so that they can give some simple attention to it. Because I do think we have to find some way, and, and that morning time that I talked about earlier is an invaluable time for this, but we have to find some time to step back so that we can reflect and see the bigger picture. And something as simple as that tool of giving a rating and writing a short, what I call a state of the union, you know, paragraph on that area, you know, what is it about your faith that is good, that's not good, that you need to give attention to? It 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 creates a focus, a clarity that we don't have unless we stay, step back and take that inventory, as you mentioned. Wow, what a, what a very helpful and practical strategy to apply in our lives. And um, so guys, I, in the interest of time, we're going to need to shut this down. I think I could talk to Tommy for quite a while, though, <laughs> and we could have some much more fun here. This has been great. I do want to say Hey, I've got a copy of his book here in front of me. It's available on Amazon. It's Space to Breathe Again, Hope for the Overloaded and the Overwhelmed by Tommy Thompson. Um, I also checked this out, and the Audible version of this is available, read by Tommy himself. So if you've appreciated uh, this experience on the podcast, then you can listen to him for over five more hours reading the book to you while you drive somewhere. So, um, And then uh, TommyThompson.org is his website. Of course, we'll put this in the show notes. But um, tell me any final words or comments or encouragement to the guys who might be listening for whom this has been uh, something that resonates with them. Well, I just want to encourage people for the very first aha moment that I had back in 1990, 91, reading Richard Swenson's book, that God does not desire for us to live overloaded, overwhelmed, stressed out lives. And if, if that yes. is what we're experiencing, that's not the heart of the Father. He doesn't need us so badly that he wants to use us up. And so God is a gracious, loving God. He talks about heaven as eternal rest. And I yes. want to give people a vision of joy and peace that is what's meant for us when we're walking in the right way with, with the Father. Amen. And you, you said something a moment ago that um, our lives get sabotaged, and that is the work of Satan sabotaging our lives, sometimes very subtly by filling up our calendars and filling up our minds and filling up our, our days and just keeping us so distracted that we can't even look up and appreciate the heavens that were made by our creator and the beauty of his majesty there. So um, good words. Thanks for the advice and encouragement, Tommy. It's been great to be with you. Um, we'll have to do this again because I think it's I'd been love, a lot of fun. Uh, I'd love to. It is a lot of fun. It just uh, it gets me excited sharing about it. It just uh, I feel very blessed, even in the midst of, of having gone through some incredibly difficult things. I, you know, God, as you said at the beginning, God is a redeeming God, and uh, Amen. That, that's the beauty of it. Amen. He uses all of those hard things to bring glory to himself. Well, folks, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to Tommy Thompson for joining us for the Nobleman Podcast this week. 
Uh, be on the lookout for our next episode, and we will catch you later. God bless you, folks. Take care.